I'm going to be upfront with you on this message. Um, as I was kind of going over it, kind of was going to wait till later, but I want you to, I'm just going to be upfront and honest with you right now that at the end of this message, you're going to have a choice to make. Every day we're faced with choices and, and this wasn't on the schedule, but uh, I'm going to ask maybe you to cross a line that you didn't, or aren't, didn't think about and, and challenge you. So this might be one of the most important things that you hear, not because of me, but because of God's word. And so tell your neighbor, hey, I'll see you afterwards. We, I need to focus. All right. Let's focus in here. Just to recap, just to recap where we were at, uh, yesterday we talked about, are we all in to hear God's voice? How to be all in, and we talked about some of the steps that Elijah shows us on how to be all in so that we can hear God's still small voice. How we, can, we need to get away from all the distractions, shut off everything, and to be able to hear Him. So it was a challenge to be all in this whole week. While we're having fun, we're ziplining, we're climbing, we're splashing, we're having a good time. God is always there. He's always present. We just need to be aware of it. So the challenge was to be all in to hear him. But And here's why I wanted to start that way. Because so oftentimes we want to get into what does God want me to do? God, I want to do this. What is it I need to do? We, we are very task-oriented. And you need to understand that God, the creator of the universe, cares more about being with you than working for him. He's more interested in you knowing him and him knowing you. And here's the thing. As that relationship grows and it de uh, develops, then you are, you're, when he becomes your greatest desire, then you just naturally do what pleases him and what he wants you to do. It just comes naturally. But the question is, is, is he your greatest desire? I can tell you in my own life, I had to come to a point where God, I'm tired of this same sin tripping me up. I want to desire you more than this. Please help me to desire you more. And I will tell you, if you are bold enough to pray that prayer, it's one the Father loves to answer. But you need to be ready because it will mean that you're going to be all in. And when you're all in, this is what it means is that we are at war. There's a war taking place and we need to realize it. And you might think, well, yeah, I know it's Republicans, Democrats, left, right. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Our war is between good versus evil. And what we're going to see in Scripture today is that what Scripture tells us, it doesn't tell us what happened, it tells us what always happens. And so we're going to look at an ancient story that actually happened, but then I want you to look at it through it and to our day and seeing that it is still happening today. And one of the biggest things that you need to understand is that God creates Satan counterfeits. That's what will happen. Satan can't create anything. So God creates it, and then Satan gives us a cheap counterfeit. And, he's, and, and it's all based off of attacking God, attacking his identity. Oh, did God really say that? I mean, I think God made a mistake. You can choose your identity. You can choose your orientation. You can choose these things. That's the lies that he keeps giving us. And we have to make a choice. So 1 Kings 18 is where we're going to be. And just to catch us up, uh, I'm going to skip the first, like, 16, 17 verses. All right. So here's what's been taking place. Here's the backdrop. It's over in Israel. You have Ahab, this passive king, uh, and you have Jezebel, this evil queen who is very controlling, manipulating. Uh, and what has happened is, is that through Jezebel and Ahab just allowing it to happen, they have killed a, a lot of the prophets. They've shut down the Christian schools. They've shut down the churches. Does that, I mean, we've, see, we've evolved. That doesn't happen anymore. We don't shut down churches, right? Yeah. See, this is what's happening. And then God sends his judgment and he says, Elijah, you're going to pray for no rain. And, and, it's, and it's an actual attack against their God that they were worshiping, Baal. All right. He, uh, Ahab, he, had the, he uh, represented the God of Baal. 
uh, Jezebel Asherah, uh, and it was a very naughty religion. Let's just leave it at that, okay? Uh, their worship services were not like this, all right? Let's just leave it at that type thing. But God, the Baal was the demon god that he uh, was the god of fertility, all right, and, and rain. So when God wouldn't allow it to rain for three and a half years as an assault against Baal, saying, ah, see, you're not in control here. And Elijah's the one that prayed for it to happen. So there's been a three and a half year drought of no rain. And so all of a sudden, Elijah, Elijah he comes on the scene and he's confronted with another man that was in the government. Uh, but it was a God-fearing man. And he had actually hidden some of the prophets away when Jezebel gave out the order, hey, kill them all. He actually hid some of them. And, and he comes and finds Elijah. And Elijah says, hey, go get that king Ahab and tell him I'm here and it's time to face off. And he's a little scared to do that, but he goes and he comes. And this is where we, we're going to pick up. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. This is verse 17. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so it is really you, you troublemaker of Israel. Here's the thing. When you start standing for God, don't be surprised when you start. They, the world starts saying you're the troublemaker. If you would just shut up and sit down and go with the flow, everything would be peaceful. But no, you have to step up and make a, a scene. And Elijah, this is why I love Elijah. He doesn't back down. He says, I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. So summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So he's just laying down. He's like, I'm not the troublemaker. You are because you are defying the living almighty God. So he takes it and he says, don't poke me in my chest. He starts poking him in his own. Verse 20. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel, the prophets of Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them all and said, this is this is the question. This is we're going to come back to this at the end. And you this is a life decision question that is still true to us every moment of every day. And you need to decide what side of the line you're going to stand on. What Elijah says to them, he said to them, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Be all in. But if it bails God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Completely silent. They were apathetic. They had gotten to a point where they just were tolerating the evil, just tolerating a little bit of this. Just, eh, it's not that big of a deal, all right? We'll just tolerate it. Here's what you need to understand is that biblically, there's repentance, and the counterfeit of that is tolerance. We are called to repent, not to tolerate what God has said is an abomination and, and sin. Toleration used to mean that you and I can disagree on something, but there's truth and we can respectively lead to that truth. But now the dictionary has actually changed the definition of tolerance where I, you are. The tolerance means that I have to fully accept you and your opinion. So that means if I don't use the hashtag, join the parade and all this kind of stuff, I'm intolerant. That's what tolerance has now become. And you'll notice that the people, they were apathetic. They were silent. And if we continue down that road, look at where we've already been. All right. Listen, in my 41 years of life, I've seen this progression going. Things that we is going on now, I'm just shaking my head like, what in the world is going on? And where we're headed now, polygamy is going to become legalized. And it's already starting to happen now with the alphabet soup that they're going to start having minor attraction is now going to become accepted as well. Pedophiles. That, that's where we're headed. And we need to wake up and quit being silent. The nation of Israel, they weren't all in. They were wavering between opinions. And Elijah says, enough is enough. You need to make a choice. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who is left. 
But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And the all people said, okay, I'm in for some fireworks. Sounds good to me. I want you to notice you got 850 prophets versus one. The prophet of God is always outnumbered. There's a lot more false prophets out there than there are true. And that's where we need God's wisdom and discernment to be able to tell us. And, and we have to anchor it to the word. If it's contrary to God's word, that it's an instant like, nope, you are not speaking for God. This is the only true thing and pure thing and perfect is God's word. And that's why it's so important to have that time to dwell on it, to put it into our hearts so that we aren't led astray. And you might be thinking, so where is these false prophets today? Well, it's in all this woke joke stuff going on out there. It is, that is the new religion that is coming out, out of Christianity even. And, and a lot of Christian circles have jumped on this whole woke uh, bandwagon with the critical theory which if you don't, just a real quick synopsis of this, if you don't understand critical theory, it actually comes out of Marxism. Karl Marx is not a good man. In fact, he wasn't, uh, he, it wasn't that he didn't believe in God. He actually, there's actually evidence in some of his writings that he actually sold his soul to Satan. And uh, out of that comes this ideology that is being pushed in our universities by more, by professors with more degrees than Fahrenheit. And because most of us are not educated enough and we're not in it and we're not dwelling on why we believe what we believe, we just go along with it. We're just led like lambs to the slaughter. Critical theory says that there is a class of people that are oppressing everybody else. And the just thing is to, to give all the power to those that are oppressed and allow them to make the rules. That's where that's what critical theory is. And, and so it's. And, and, and their whole idea of justice, they use Christian language, and that's why most people get deceived, is they use Christian language saying, we want justice. And most Christians are like, yeah, we want justice too. Yes. But what you need to look at is their justice is very partial. It's based off of your skin color, your class. And, and God's justice is impartial. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white. It doesn't matter. This is the law. This is where we stand. And God says justice needs to be impartial. And that's where most people get deceived. And the, the, you have the hard, the, just out there woke, all right? They, they're very easy to spot. What's harder to spot is those that are maybe soft woke, where they buy into just a little bit of that teaching. And, and, and they use enough Christian language, and, it's, and it, you have to pay attention more to what they don't say. That they won't make these claims. That they'll go ahead and, and accept the pronouns. They'll go ahead and, and accept this and that. And they'll start deconstructing the faith. That's when we need to be aware. Let's get back to this challenge though. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it. And call on the name of your God. But do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, placed it on the altar. Then they called the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. There was no reply of any kind. And they danced and hobbling around the altar they had made. This is another reason why I love Elijah. All right. This is about noontime. Elijah began mocking them. He began mocking them. He said, yeah, you have to shout louder, all right? You guys aren't loud enough. You need to dance more, he scoffed. For surely he is God, right? Perhaps he's daydreaming or he is relieving himself. All right, this is the translation's trying to be nice here. What he's saying is like, maybe your God has diarrhea and can't get off the toilet. That's what he's saying. He's like, listen, 
Maybe he's in the bathroom and he's just having a hard time. Like he's a little backed up or whatever. I don't know. But I mean, he, potty humor here in the Bible. A man of God. He's poking fun at these people. Or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. All right. He's, he's like, listen, I'm not playing games anymore. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. Thank God that we don't have to cut ourselves to get his attention, but that our God instead came down and shed his blood for us. They raved all afternoon until the time of evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response because there was the false God. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he prepared the altar of the Lord that, he had, that had been torn down. And he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said... Fill four ju large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Now listen, you don't have to be a firefighter to understand that you don't put, if you're about to start a fire, you don't put water on it, okay? You want it dry. That, the firefighter's job is to put the wet stuff on the red stuff. That's what we do, right? And here he is. He's like, yeah, just go ahead and put some water on it. And, but not just once, he said, and after they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And then they were finished, said, now do it a third time. So they did it as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. It's completely drenched. And this is what I love. He says, at the usual time for the offering and the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Prove today that you are the God in Israel and I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. And answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have brought them back to yourself. A simple prayer. No dancing, no singing. Just a simple prayer. He, he knew who he was praying to. He had that relationship. There was no need for dramatics. He simply needed to make the request to his father. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Now this is where most Sunday school and VBSs, they stop the lesson. We're going to go ahead. Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. No toleration. Listen, Elijah, he laid out the challenge. And it's the same one for us every moment of every day. If the Lord is God, then follow him. It's an all in. It means no time off. We don't get to turn it on and off like a light switch. Also notice that he does the con he, he engages the conflict in order for converts. Sometimes you have to have that conflict in order to bring people to know Jesus. And I'm not saying you go looking for a fight, but at the same time, when the fight comes knocking at your door, you better stand up and say something. You're going to have to take a stand for God if you're all in. There's no getting around it. I wanted to back up, though, and I want to look at two things here. One, his prayer. He said, prove today that you are God. That's why he's asking it. Prove 
also so it says that people know that I am up for you, but then also that these people would know you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Notice that it's God bringing us back to him. It's not us coming back to God. God makes the step. He's the one that initiates the relationship and we have to make that choice. But I also want to look at, given our theme today, all in on the reputation and popularity. What did Elijah pour on to the altar? Lots and lots of water. In the middle of a three and a half out, uh, three and a half year drought. Water at this time was the most priceless thing. Water was the costliest offering Elijah could bring. And he placed not, and so what he's doing is he's placing not only his life and reputation before God in this crowd, but also his livelihood, his security, his future well being. It is the most profound act of worship and faith. And it occurs before a word of prayer when this prophet pours out a cistern of the most precious national commodity over the wood and stones. And he's offering God the most lavish sacrifice he could possibly bring. He's saying, God, I'm all in. My reputation, my popularity, I'm putting it on the line. Because he recognized what David had also said in 2 Samuel 24, 24. said, I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that I have not cost me nothing. Sacrifice. And I want you to notice that God loves to show off. It's one of those things that if you're God, you get to do that. All right. He loves to show off. But so oftentimes we live so safe, we don't give him the opportunity to show off. And so many of us, maybe we want more of God in our life. Well, then we need to stop playing it safe. We need to make a decision. Where are we going to stand? Are you willing to go all in and sacrifice your reputation and popularity? For some of you, this might be a little bit easier because you're on the fringe. Let's just be honest, right? There's the end crowd and then there's those kind of, listen, I was that person. I, I had friends, but at the same time, if I really classified myself, I was just that fringe nerd guy. I'm still a nerd. It works out. But we all like to be liked. There's something in us that we want to be accepted by our peers. It's natural. Here's an important part. You might want to write this down. Something that I wish I had learned earlier on in my life is that your reputation is what people think you are like. Your character is who you actually are. And we need to stop worrying about what people think of us. And we need to start worrying about what does God say and living our lives according to him. And there will come a time when you will have to put your reputation and popularity on the line. doesn't matter if you're on the fringe or not. And those that are in the in crowd, that might be more of a struggle, but you still, you need to decide whether you will use your influence for your own selfish benefit or for God's glory. Be willing to get in trouble at school or at work for God and his honor and glory. I remember using my platform in high school when I decided I'm going to go all in. I, I remember it was after Columbine had happened and we had to give a, a speech and, and stuff and I decided to do my my paper and my speech on why we needed to stop teaching evolution and we need God in our schools. You have that platform. Will you take that stand? Are you willing to refuse the lies that culture keeps trying to shove down your throat? Listen, let's make it very clear. Genesis 1, there's male and female. There's no other choices. And some will just, oh, well, I can, uh, you know, I can go along with it, but I don't actually believe it in my heart. I'm telling you, talking from people in communist countries that try to do that, they also would say, no, that doesn't work. They have, they're the ones that have the regret. It was those that actually stood the line and actually were, was in prison for standing up and not believing the lies that were being shoved. That, yes, they have scars, but at the same time, they have a joy. Listen, older people, we tend to value our capital. How much money do I have? For the younger generations, you guys tend to value social capital. 
How much approvals and influence do I have? How many likes did I get on my post? It's more of a social media economy. And don't think this all attitude isn't possible because James 5, 16 through 18 says that Elijah was just like us. That the spirit that was in Elijah, and when you give your life to Jesus and are baptized, and that some of you might need to make that decision tonight, then that same spirit is in you. And it says in James 5, 16 through 18, when we think of Elijah, we think of these prophets and, and these men of God and, and, and all these people, we think of them as like superheroes with a big E on their chest and the cape flapping type thing. But James 5, 16 through 18 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. In verse 17, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Some of you maybe are scared to fight. You're scared of that fight. And it's this fear of man that you wanting their approval. It's like, what will my friends think of me? What will maybe future Mr. Wright think of me? What will that girl think of me? You need to stop thinking about what everybody else thinks about and start wondering, what does God think about this? What does he want me to do? Am I going to be able to stand before him and hear him say, well done? Listen, maybe I can unburden you with this. You will offend someone in your life. You need to decide who you will offend, who you're going to get in trouble with. You will either find favor with man and offend God, or you will find favor with God and offend man. You, there, you, that's the choices. And you need to decide which side of the line you're going to be on. You need to remember who we worship. Well, they might say mean things to me, and then they'll comment on my posts. And, and then, no. Listen. Do you realize who we serve? Do you realize who you were just singing to? You were singing to a God who took on our flesh. And he was betrayed by a friend. He was uh, mocked. He was slandered. He was hit in the face. He had his flesh torn. And he was nailed on a cross and died. That is who we serve. And he says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to do the exact same thing. You can't love the world and God. You have to make a choice. Stop going and hobbling between the two options. James 4, 4 through 10. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate. That the spirit that he's placed within us, the same spirit that was in Elijah, that he says that the, the spirit he's placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace and generously, as the scriptures say, he, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. It's time to shut off the noise. Humble yourself. Listen to God and then obey. Make the choice. Is God truly real or not? Jesus, he said it himself to his disciples in Matthew 16. He asked his disciples, he says, hey, what are people saying about me? Who do people say I am? And they said, well, some say you are John the Baptist. And listen to this. Some say you're Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, what do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Listen, everybody else can have their opinions about who God and Jesus is. Jesus is standing here right now, and he's asking you, who do you say I am? And your answer will dictate the rest of your life. Until you take that step, until you firmly take that step and say, hey, listen, Jesus, 
is God. And that directs everything in my life. And my life needs to reflect that. Let's be like me saying, listen, I had this amazing encounter. I actually encountered the greatest basketball player in all of mankind, Michael Jordan. And he placed his hands on me and he gave me his spirit. And I have his spirit in me right now. And you'd be like, all right, let's go. And we go out and play and I'm like, the ball's bouncing off my foot and I'm bricking and, and I'll, you'd be like, you're a liar. What does the world think when we say we have God living in us? They say you're a liar. Yeah. So does your life reflect that Jesus is God? Where are you put are you putting your reputation on the line? Because until you take that step, what you have is belief. And James says that even the demons believe that God exists and they shudder. Faith is action. Faith, saving faith, there's always action involved. It's stepping out of that boat. It's taking, uh, standing up, confessing, and being baptized. There was a time that I had to make that choice. Uh, so I was, God had put the book of James on my heart. Put this whole passage on my heart about putting my faith in action. And I had to st step back and I was like, for some reason in my quiet time, I just, I couldn't get away from the book of James. And I kept being questioned, like, God, I mean, yeah, I believe that you exist. And I, and I mean, I've done some of this stuff, but I, I just, why are you burning me with this? Like, what is it that you're asking me to do? And he just constantly wanted had the book of James coming on my heart. So I went into shift one day. Uh, it was October uh, 25th. Uh, and I was supposed to be at the farthest west station, all right? If, if some of you have been in Kansas City, let's think that this is Lenexa, all right? That's the fire department I was at. Uh, and the station that I was normally at was right in the middle, right by the park. We ran busy calls. And I was supposed to be at the farthest west station. And so I was super thrilled because that station was really slow. And I was like, I'm going to be able to sleep all night. This is going to be great. I was six months into there at the department. And uh, again, had the book of James on my heart. I show up to shift. All of a sudden, the captain comes in and he says, hey, there was a last minute vacation change. Sorry they didn't tell you. You're actually going back to your station. I'm like, yes, sir. I get myself in the car. I'm like, gosh darn it. I'm supposed to sleep all night. You know, I was mad. I was like, now I'm going to be stuck on the medical ambulance again. I'm, I mean, I'm just, I, can't, I just want to be on the fire engine. God, like, just let me sit on the fire engine. Like, is it too much to ask for a night's sleep? Like, I'm going back there, right? And we get in there. Of course, I'm the new guy. I'm the young guy. I'm the, I have to earn my stripes, so I'm put on the medical squad. We go on a call, and... We clear that call and we instantly get dispatched to another call. The computer program said, hey, you're the closest unit and so you need to go. But the thing was, is this, this call was at the farthest east of the city, right? So I went from the farthest west to the middle to now I'm being called to the farthest east and we're like, why in the world are we being called to this? Like, why isn't the station that should be responding to that going to that? Not realizing that they were actually in our district. Getting gummy beers. Uh, I probably shouldn't say that, but that's what was going on. All right. Um, and so it was a, it was, we were called to a welfare check by the cops. What that would happen was, uh, the, as we were getting our notes is that there was a guy that was found living in a storage unit and he had a newborn and a two-year-old in the storage unit. They needed us to check out the kids. They needed us really to come in and defuse the situation because as the cops admitted later on, the, their, their, play was that everybody loves firefighters and so they called them in to de-escalate the situation all right and so we are um going again it's a cold october night uh and we walk up this guy's up against the wall uh he's wearing kind of like those uh zip up sweatshirts type thing right and then uh, off about six feet from him is this girl uh and she looked like the two-year-old uh, looked very malnourished, almost like she was a cancer victim. I mean, hair missing, I mean, dark eyes, sunken in, uh, and um, 
staring right through us. I mean, we're used to kids maybe being scared of us. This was the shark stare, all right, if that makes any sense. The thousand yard stare looking right through us type thing. She wasn't scared of us. It was just, she was in a different world, right? And so we show up, we're like, hey, can we check out your kids? Still not knowing where the newborn is. Um, and uh, he says, yeah, he, he finally gave in to us and said, yes, you can check them out, make sure they're okay. He unzips his, uh, as I approach the two-year-old, he unzips his uh, coat and there's this like almost limp baby, right? That comes out type thing. And I'm looking at my partner like, oh man, I'm about to have to do a coat on an infant right now. Like, I don't want to do this. Uh, I was supposed to be at the farthest west station. I, this is... And he kind of checks the pulse, gives me a nod, like, hey, we're good. I was like, oh, good. So I go to the two-year-old. She's not really communicating. Like, it's just every last word that I would say, she would repeat back to me. As soon as we had the kids, then the cops moved in and arrested the guy uh, for everything, um, child endangerment and all this kind of stuff. And we don't know what's going on, so we rush the kids to the ambulance because we don't know what's going to happen because this guy's been talking all kinds of nonsense about his constitutional rights and blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's just nuts. Uh, and so we rush into the ambulance with these two kids trying to figure out what in the world's going on, right? And this girl, she, the two-year-old is just sitting there and just like, my baby, my baby. And uh, the, the newborn, uh, we were checking their, her out and she still had her umbilical cord attached. Uh, it was tied off with a shoestring and clothespin and um, very just limp. And we're just like, Okay, where's mom? When was the last time this baby ate? Like, what's what what's going on, right? So one of the paramedics is making the run back and forth and trying to get this information on out so that we know what to do and how to treat this baby. Um, So um, the paramedic comes back and uh, he calls his partner out, never a good sign. Um, and so then they call my partner out, uh, not even a good sign. Uh, and only EMT me sitting in the back of the ambulance holding Clifford the dog, red dog on the phone so the girl will, I mean, she was completely calm, but maybe trying to get her to go to sleep. Um, Come to find out, uh, the baby had been born two days, uh, no, five days prior, and um, in a hotel room, uh, and had the mom had given birth in a tub, uh, and then after the birth, um, I can't make claims, but anyways, the, he, the mom died, and the, the, this guy, then proceeded to dismember her body and then just then put her in the remains that he couldn't either flush or boil or whatever uh, in two Rubbermaid tubs that we were standing next to at the storage unit. It was then that the firefighter hat came on, came off and the father hat came on. And more than that, I started realizing why God had the book of James on my heart. So we uh, finally got the girl to sleep it was probably the first time she slept good in several days. And it broke my heart that when child services showed up, I had to wake her back up. Now, I wasn't this, I wasn't just ready to go all in. Okay. <laughs> so I call my wife when I get back and I say, hey, here's what happened. Pray. Like, I, I don't know what else to do. I'm a mess right now. Uh, get home. Wife is like, what do you need? I said, honestly, I just need to know that those girls are okay. So the adoption world, uh, our girls, you know, 
having adopted and we've gone through the foster parenting classes and all that, we were like, okay, we, she started making the phone call. It's a small community. And so she made phone calls, come to find out the two girls were in separate homes because nobody would take the two together. And so uh, we said, well, are we eligible, right? Like, are, can they come stay with us? Mind you, I'm still in my rookie. I'm still in probation. Uh, and I have my family of four at this time in a three bedroom apartment uh, in, in Overland Park. Uh, and, uh, and so they said, actually, yes, you guys would still be eligible. We can make you next to Kim because you were on scene. And then if you can re just renew your classes online, we can get them there. So within a matter of hours, all of a sudden we went from a family of four to a family of six. And so I'm rearranging furniture and, and moving things. And uh, now, uh, so uh, we told our kids, here's what's happening. We don't know how long this is they're gonna be with us, but they're moving into our house. My son, uh, God bless him. He go, He said, oh, not more girls. <laughs> All right, he was just like, if anything, like bring us more boys. I don't want more girls, you know, come on dad. Uh, and so, but they come into our house. And so here's a seven day year old and a two year old uh, and the two year old going through the trauma and everything like blood curling, screaming about wanting to take baths. Again, taking these baby steps. I'm thinking, you know what? They're just going to be with us for a short time. A family member's going to step up. I'm going to do what God's called me to do, right? This is what God's, this is why the book of James was on my heart. And this is why he literally moved me from where I was supposed to be to being exactly where I needed to be, to be there at the exact time for them. God is very still involved in our day and age. And I, so after a big traumatic event, uh, there's a debriefing, all right? So all the dispatchers and police and paramedics, they come on and we kind of talk about it. And as I'm going, the girls are in my apartment. My buddy, who's a firefighter, he's a strong Christian. He's like, are you going to tell them? And I said, I'm praying God makes it pretty obvious that if I need to share or not, because I'm not really sure. Because honestly, I was still wondering about my reputation a little bit. Like, what are people going to think? They're going to think I'm like some Jesus freak type thing. And I mean, I just started at this department and I really like these guys and, and all this kind of stuff. And as we're going around, everybody kind of says their part and what they were thinking. And every single one of them, the first person said, I just wish I knew if those girls were okay. That's all I really care about. And the second person, I just, I wish I knew if those girls were okay. Third person, I'm like, okay, God, got it. Went around the line, all right? It was all 20 people. They all said the exact same thing. I was like, I got it. Like, you could have stopped back there. I'm go I'll say something. So at the very end, I said, they said, does anybody else need to share anything? And I just said, you know what? I want to tell you that those girls are okay. And they all look at me like, how in the world do you know that? And I said, and I can tell you that because they're back in my apartment right now with my family. And instantly, everybody breathed again. There was just a... <sighs> Police officers were like, all right, sweet. I'm ready to go back to work. I mean, they were just like, it was the healing that they needed. And so later on down the road, it starts finding out that, you know what, there's not a family member that's eligible that can pick up these kids. And I was like, okay, God, I'm going to have to go all in on this. And if I go all in, I need you to help me with this. And he has been faithful. And the best thing about all this, here I was worried about my reputation, but then one of the paramedics that was actually on scene with us is a very strong atheist. You might think that atheists don't know the Bible. That's not true. This guy, had he knew his Bible inside and out. And so any times that we were stationed together, it led to some interesting conversations. But this one night, we're at the same station, and, and he's, I'm, he's asking how the girls are doing. I'm giving him the update, and here's what he said. He said, you know what? I know your Bible, and I know you're Jesus. And I, I, then I hear these preachers out here and they have their own parking space and they have their books and they're doing their speaking deals and they're promoting this and that. I don't, that can't, I, that does not fit for me. It makes no sense to me when I read your Bible. But then you and your wife go off and do something like this, not asking for anything. And it makes me question 
everything. Seeds get planted. Listen, I tell you this story to bring glory to God, to help you to realize if you will take time and be all in to listen to him, he will speak to you. He will use you. He will move you to where he needs you to be at those exact times. And none of this would have happened if I cared more about my reputation. If I cared more about my popularity, none of this would have happened. But I had to make a choice. Obedience to God no matter what. And my question to you is, you, will you take up your cross and follow Jesus no matter the cost? Or do you have a limit to your obedience? Is it more still your way and just however Jesus will fit into it? Matthew 10, 38, Jesus says, if you refuse to take up your cross, if you refuse to die to your own self, your own selfish ambitions, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Matthew 16, 24, he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up the cross and follow me. And he said that again in Mark 8, 34, and Luke 9, 23, that you must give up your own way. Who calls the shots of your life? Because listen to me, God will not be mocked. It might look like he, we are losing ground, but I'm telling you, for those of you that have given your lives completely and totally to Jesus and you're all in, this is as close to hell that you will ever be. But for those of you that have still not given your lives to Jesus, you have not gone all in, this is as close to heaven that you will be. And that should make you very, very scared. God will not be mocked. You want God to show up more in your life, then you need to stand boldly. You need to say, no, no more going back and forth. I am all in. Do not be ashamed. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that can only be explained by the fact that God exists. I want to see fire fall from heaven. And here's the thing. We have something greater than falling from heaven. Actually, it's someone. His name is Jesus. Jesus was God and he took on flesh. He came down here and he died in my place and your place. He bore the wrath of God and he raised from the dead and he's seated on his throne now. And that gospel message is changing lives to this very day. There is power in the gospel. There is no power in politics. There is no power to change things. The only power is the gospel. It is the fire, the power to change lives. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Jesus is coming. And you need to make your choice. You will either bow your knee to him now, willingly, or you will be forced to when he comes again. So it's time to make that decision. And I know this is going to get very uncomfortable, but now is that time. Just like Elijah, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. And my question to you right here, right now, is what is your answer? God is prompting you right now. There's two choices I'm going to give you guys right now. There's some of you here that need to make that decision to give your life to Jesus for the very first time. That you need to go all in and say, you know what? I've been kind of playing both sides. But now's the time. And I'm going to go all in. I'm going to take that stand for him for the very first time. For somebody else, you've, God is nudging you. He's been talking to you. And he's calling you to go in to serve full time. To go all in and serve on the front lines in full time ministry. And now's that time that I'm going to ask you to make that choice. Because if you can't make it here in a safety place like this, I don't know where else you can. So if you need to decide that Jesus is real and it's you've been going down your own path long enough and it's time to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, I want you to stand right now. Just right where you're at. You can just stand.
Amen. Amen. Here's the thing. I want you to know right now, with you making this decision, family leaders, group leaders, if you take a look and if there's guys in your, or people in your group, if you'll take note of that and talk to them about this decision here in just a minute. But listen, heaven talks about that. When, when, when one sinner turns back and turns to God, there's rejoicing amongst the angels. You know who's living amongst the angels? God. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they are celebrating. They're throwing a party. All right, you guys can be seated. I'm going to pray for you guys here in just a minute. Now, for those of you that God is nudging you right now, and he's calling you in to go into full-time service, to go onto the front line, saying, you know what? It's time to go all in. And you're going to go into ministry, and you're going to be on that front line. I want you to stand right now. Which is awesome. This is one of the biggest decisions. And I'm, I wish I could tell you, hey, it's going to be rainbows and unicorns, but I already told you yesterday that's not the case. It is the front lines of the war. And bless you guys. May, God, may God's spirit rest upon you. May you have that spirit of boldness to stand that ground for him. All right, let's be seated. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to close out. Father God, we thank you that you are a God that is still working miracles to this day. And thank you for those here that have listened to you and are obeying you. They're taking that step. They're not hobbling between the two op options right now. They are, the line has been drawn. I thank you for those that have decided to give their lives to you for the very first time. This is what it's all about, God. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you made a way where there it was no way. That you came to us instead of trying to have us get to you. Because you knew it was impossible to do that. We thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross in our place to satisfy your wrath. And I pray for those that have made that decision to go all in for you, that you would, they would grow deep with you, that their roots would go deep with you, and that they would come closer to you, and you would continue to mold and shape them, and that Satan won't distract them and try to pull them away, that, 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 but they will bear much harvest for you. And I pray for those that have made that decision to go all in and go into full-time ministry, that you would guide them to the right ministry that they need to be, that you would equip them, that they would be, have that wisdom and discernment that comes from you, and that they would stand the ground even when there's 850 prophets speaking against them, that they would still stand boldly for you, saying, No, the Lord God Almighty is real, and He's true, and He's here. Use them. Take them where they need to go so that they bring glory to your holy name. And I pray this in the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen.